Hi, everybody, and welcome to the August 25th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Colorado Inside Out legend Tom Tancredo telling the Denver Post that he is considering a run for governor in 2018. Tancredo made headlines after stating that he was infuriated that Republicans didn't speak up after the cancellation of an upcoming conference in Colorado Springs organized by the same group behind the violent Charlottesville rally. Patty Calhoun from Westward. So Tom Tancredo is great at making headlines. If there's one thing he can manufacture, that's definitely the top one. Is this just a salvo that he's trying to get Republicans to pay attention to this? Or if there's any serious uh, threat that Tom Tancredo is going to be anywhere near the ballot in 2018? He's about all that the Republican Party is missing right now in that clown car for 2018. You know, Tom makes headlines if he goes to the opening of an envelope, and I think this is a little more serious. I think he's actually looking at it because he's fed up with what's happened to the Colorado Republican Party, and he knows he can get people talking, and, you know, he can also get votes. Let's remember, he got more than 30% of the votes when he ran against Tickenlooper and Dan Mays, who was the Republican candidate. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. What do you make of Tancredo's claim and, and why he is, quote, infuriated? Well, you can't believe everything you hear on television, even on high-quality public television, because the group that he was speaking at is called V. Dare, named for Virginia Dare, who was the first English child born in North America. Whatever you think of their views, they were not the organizers of the rally in Charlottesville, had nothing to do with it. Um, and the person who came out the worst in this whole thing was John Southers, who, the mayor of Colorado Springs, who said, oh, we're not going to provide police protection for the event. Uh, after all his career of being a sincere law and order guy, to do something that lawless and say, oh, if you want to have a riot here uh, and attack people, go right at it. The, the Colorado Springs, Springs police will stand aside. That was tremendously irresponsible of him and really takes him down. It, it's a huge blemish on his law and order record he's built over the years. For Tancredo in the governor's race, um, as Patty said, you know, he, he got a, a good share of the vote in the primary last time around, but the net effect is when primary day comes, whoever is the front runner who's not Tancredo uh, will get lots of votes from candidates who are maybe in the third, fourth, or fifth position. That's what happened last time, as Lynn Bartles talked about in her uh, coverage of that race. There were people who were like, oh, yeah, I like Scott Gessler. He's my favorite. But Tancredo was doing well, and so a lot of the Gessler voters went over to Bob Beaupre because we got to stop Tancredo. Um, so I, I think that will be the effect. It's going to be more important than normal for the non-Tancredo candidate. Whoever gets to that top position uh, is going to have a big advantage, and the ones who are further back, I think there's support. it's harder than normal for them to make a move.
Eric Soderman, political analyst. Uh, a couple things here, both what uh, Tom Tancredo was commenting about, and then I think also, I'm not sure I'm going to call it a splintering of the Republican Party, but you see more and more Republicans mad at their own party or wanting to see something happen in their own party. They, they, they're, they're almost running out of uh, Clintons or Obamas to, to complain about. There's, there's plenty of Republicans to complain about. What's the bigger story as you see this announcement from Tom this week? I think the announcement is t this is Tom being Tom. You referred to him earlier, Dominic, as a legend on this show, and he was. He's also become a legend in his own mind. <laughs> And uh, you know, all of us can be fond of Tom personally, and he's a wonderful, delightful guy to have a cup of coffee or a beer with. But Tom has fallen in love with the sound of his own voice. And at some point, he needs to let one of these gubernatorial races go. He thinks he has to be a part of every race every year. Uh, and I, I'm, being, I'm being a bit harsh here, and I would hope some people would take it, uh, take it to heart. Tom Rand, yes, he did, got 35% of the vote against John Hickenlooper and some nobody named Dan Mays. But, you know, they don't elect governors on 35% of the vote. And Tom's high watermark is in that 35 to 40% category. That's all he can do. He has run for governor now twice in the last few cycles, and he has lost both times and not come terribly close. Once in a primary, once as a nominal Republican but third-party candidate in a general election. Tom Tancredo is not going to be the next governor of Colorado. He, at this point, if he gets in, and I don't underestimate his ability to get into the race. He's gotten into other races. If he gets in, he becomes a sideshow, but it's a compelling sideshow. And as you pointed out, it's just further indication of the splintering and polarization, fragmentation, uh, of the Republican Party. As to the conference, I mean, D David makes a good point uh, as to the Colorado Springs Police Department, but uh, I don't think there's anyone stronger on this panel or other panels in terms of believing in free speech. But yet free speech doesn't compel a private business, in this case the Cheyenne Mountain Resort, to provide a venue or a host such a conference. And they were well within their rights, and I applaud them for saying we don't want this particular uh, reprehensible crowd here. Penfield Tate, attorney at QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Lots of things to pick from here. You have both the actual event being canceled in Colorado Springs and uh, Tom Tancredo's reaction to it and the whole idea of Republicans in the governor race in 2018. Take your pick. I, I would offer, despite his legendary status, there's probably no politician now more out of step with Colorado and America than Tom Tancredo. He can look at the race all he wants. Frankly, he should have looked at it in 2010 and looked at it in 2014 rather than running. And he didn't get 35% of the vote against John Hickenlooper in 2010. He got 35% of the vote against Dan Mays because he clearly had no business being in the race and that just showed how far gone the Republican Party was at that time. You know, Eric's right, Tom's a delightful guy when you talk with him one-on-one, -on -one, but it, the fundamental problem is some of the positions he takes are just offensive. The reality is the vast majority of Coloradans and the vast majority of Americans and the vast majority of Republicans aren't bigots and racist. And you know, you can couch this as being a champion of free speech, but the vast majority of all of those groups who aren't bigots and racists say spe free speech is one thing, but we don't want to be exposed to a bunch of people spewing all this racist, anti-Semitic hatred. We just don't have a place for it and don't want a place for it in a country like America. 
that's basically what this boils down to. So he can be outraged. He can criticize all the Republicans for not pandering to this. But, you know, that's part of the problem that President Trump is having and the Republican Party's having when they're feeding on each other because they've let the bigots like Steve Bannon and his group take over and become the voice and the face of the Republican Party when the vast majority of Republicans don't feel the way they do. Speaking of Governor John Hickler in the governor's race, Governor John Hickler will join four other governors as they testify before a U.S. Senate committee on health, education, labor, and pensions on September 7th. Meanwhile, Hickler continues to work with Republican Ohio Governor John Kasich on a bipartisan plan to sustain insurance markets, which is stoking rumors that a 2020 presidential ticket is in the works. Patty, we love to talk about stuff like this, especially something as uh, historic that would be uh, a Republican governor and Democratic governor coming together in 2020. I know the odds are long, but it's fun to talk about, right? Oh, it's fun to talk about, and it would be very fun to see. So as we're taping this show, the rumors are start starting. CNN just reported it, according to a source a couple hours ago, that Kasich and Hickenlooper are seriously looking at a run together for president and vice president in 2010 under the Unity Party. Now, the two of them have already been together talking about health care. Back in June, they went to Washington, D.C., and they said, governors are the ones who can bring people together. We can help bring t people together. So they've been talking about this for a couple months now together. I have to say, if Penn's assessment of the non-bigoted, uh, free speech-loving Americans is accurate, these guys actually might have a chance on the Unity ticket. And I've got to say, I think it makes more sense for Hickenlooper to be the running mate of John Kasich than of Al Franken. You might have heard the Frankenlooper thing that was floated a little earlier this summer. I think this would be a really great race to watch. And what does Hickenlooper have to lose? He will be done. He'll be term limited as governor. He's got money. He's got connections. He can do almost anything he wants. He's got nothing to lose by running for Beep. David, um 2020 imagination aside, what do you make of John Hickelooper's status in being called to the U.S. Senate for this committee hearing? Is this a big deal? Yeah, and I, Hickenlooper and Kasich actually are, are similar on the Obamacare thing because both of them, without uh, uh, both of them unilaterally, did the doubling of Medicaid in their states. In Ohio, after the legislature had actually uh, enacted legislation that thought forbade. Uh, Kasich from doing that, and he just went ahead and did it anyway, and, and Hickenlooper did the same, both extremely fiscally irresponsible. And what they're testifying for is to the euphemism, sustain insurance markets, bailouts for the insurance companies. Obamacare is premised on an impossible model, which is you're going to get people to buy literally things like a $3,000 a month policy with a $14,000 deductible. So you throw in 50000 bucks before you get a penny back, other than you get a free checkup and maybe some new eyeglasses. And that ridiculous price is supposed to subsidize the insurance companies in providing care, in providing low-cost, actuarially unsound insurance to people for whom insurance would be more expensive if, like you do on all kinds of other insurance, you take into account the risk. You know, somebody who's 57 years old and has diabetes and is morbidly obese is a can't be priced appropriately uh, in the insurance market. And the, the chumps who pay $50,000 a year for nothing uh, are subsidizing that. And so the Obama, the 
Hickenlooper Kasich plan is, oh, let's, let's throw more bad money after good and bail out the insurance companies for participating in this unsustainable uh, Rube Goldberg con game. But as presidential candidates, I agree, could be very strong. We tend to go to the opposite of what's been annoying us most. Carter was weak. Nixon was dishonest. Carter said, I'll never lie to you. Carter was weak. Reagan was strong and knew what he thought. Uh, George W. Bush was out, H.W. Bush was out of touch. Bill Clinton was an emotional vampire who could, like, understand your emotions and, and play them back to you and feel them more sincerely than you did. And after the messianic Obama and Trump with his raging id all over the place, the fact that Hickenlooper and Kasich are kind of boring and low-key and whatever personality flaws they have, they maybe, you know, they yell at their staff too much, they keep it inside. They're not always acting it out in public. And in public, they have this very affable, friendly, calm personas. So I think that the kind, especially if the Democrats do what they'll probably do, which is nominate somebody at least as far left as Bernie, but without his grandfatherly demeanor to take some of the edge off that, uh, I think a lot of the people in the country could be brave for somebody who's centrist and boring. Eric, uh, centrist and boring, nice guys, unity party, whatever uh, you think. Does Hickenlooper, do Kasich and Hickenlooper have a realistic avenue here? Yeah, they probably have an avenue, but uh, you'd need to put a bunch of asterisks on this. Asterisk number one is we're sitting here in late August in the doldrums of summer where all kinds of news bubbles up when there's nothing else to report, although Trump solved that problem. Uh, but uh, we're sitting here three-plus years ahead of an election. Can you add up how many news cycles that is in, in this day and age? And so we have to see if this is just a momentary bubble, uh, something to talk about in a couple of news cycles, or if this is something that has legs. Some of David's analysis, I won't go into the health care piece, but uh, David's analysis of politics being action, reaction, counterreaction is dead on the mark. And you could see whether it's Kasich and Hickenlooper or some other ticket, uh, as both parties drift to their poles, further polarized, leaving a vast middle that is just completely turned off by this game, somebody could step into that void. Whether that somebody is John Kasich and John Hickenlooper remains, remains to be seen. Donald Trump, to my mind, was elected president as the complete outsider. He was basically an independent candidate, but instead of running as an independent, he ran as an independent within a party and took over that party. You could see such a scenario playing out because of people's complete disgust and distaste with the political system. Last point, the problem I think Kasich and Hickenlooper have is that lots of people like us, and probably like a lot of our viewers, sit around and say, what this country needs is a fiscally conservative, socially moderate president. And Donald Trump went out and mobilized exactly the opposite constituency. His constituency is a fiscally fairly liberal constituency. They want all their government benefits, don't care about deficit, debt, entitlements, or any of that, but are socially very conservative. And what we're going to see is a battle to see is that fiscally conservative, socially moderate constituency bigger, or is the opposite bigger? Penn, we'll have to choose from here, but when you see something like this, and, and Eric's right, we are over three years out from a presidential election. So this is clearly the doldrums of August and people waiting for football season to start. So what are your thoughts on what we've seen from possible Kasich-Hickliber rumors? 
You know, I, I, I come in from the opposite perspective. I want to deal with substance first. You, you well, know, there's the no whole, place for that in this show, Pam. We <laughs> the whole about reason that. this story started is because they are among a group of six governors going to speak in front of a, uh, um, a committee of Congress. A and the committee is looking at what to do with insurance markets. And in many respects, this is a solution in search of a problem. If you saw the New York Times today, we've now reached a point under the Affordable Care Act where there is not a single county left in this country that won't have some insurer providing benefits. May not be the best program in the world, but it's now reported every county in this country has a provider, which is the opposite of what President Trump promised us and sort of implied he would work to make sure even became worse to try to dry up the market. Uh, and, and so what you've got is a, is a U.S. Congress that they really can't get anything right. You know, after seven years of talking about repeal and replace, repeal and replace, they couldn't get that done because fundamentally and astonishingly, after seven years, they had never sat down and come up with a comprehensive replacement strategy. And I'm kind of scared if there's a group of folks who've had seven years where they agree on a problem but can't come up with any answer. And that's what they had. Then they said, well, let's just repeal it because the president said repeal it and blow everything up. They couldn't even get that right either. And so while these governors may come to them and, you know, let's face it, what they're going to do is plead and say, look, don't mess up our states because you can't figure out anything. Worst case scenario, let's continue to let the Affordable Care Act, which is the same thing as Obamacare for our watchers, continue and let the states try to figure this out. And then if you can get your acts together, then let's talk about a comprehensive national retooling of the program so that we get a better and a different result. And if that's the context, and if that's what happens, I don't know if there's a substantive path forward for Kasich, Kick and Looper or any other combination like that, because Congress has the ability to take all of the air out of the room by tinkering with and ending this debate, because this is only the, policy, the only policy issue they're running on at this point. U.S. Representative Ed Perlmutter announced this week that he will now run for re-election in Congressional District 7. A little more than a month after he dropped out of the 2018 gubernatorial race, Perlmutter states that now he's had time to regroup, consult with family and friends, and concluded he'd like to run for re-election. Uh, David, this is not the first politician who has decided after he's not going to run to go back and rerun. But it's significant because uh, the, there were a lot of Democrats that were hoping to take Perlmutter's position and now had to fade back away. They're not gonna, uh, there's not going to be a significant primary there. So does this hurt the Perlmutter brand because of the flip-flop or because it's 2017, people are going to, this would be long history by the time we get to next year? Oh, I don't, no, I don't, I don't think it really hurts the brand. He's, he's so well-known and well-liked in, in that district and is by far the strongest Democrat who could be on the, the ticket in that district because of his family ties that go back uh, for many, many decades. My guess is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee came to him and said, look, Ed, if you run, maybe you're even getting kind of bored of this. We, we understand that being, being the minority party in the Senate is okay because one Senate has senator has tremendous power by the rules of the institution. Being in the minority in the House is not that great at all. You know, if you're the ranking member of a committee, that's, that, that's a, a big thing. Other than that, you know, you, you really can't do that much except have the honor and, and all that and, you know, whatever. Enjoy casting your vote. But 
if Perlmutter didn't run, then the Democrat National Party would have to put some significant money into funding that rate, that open uh. seat, to hold it. And they can say, look, Ed, there's a chance the Democrats can take the House. And then you can be in the majority, and you've got a good chance to have a, you know, a, a real good committee chairmanship or subcommittee. Even though he voted against Pelosi for leader? Maybe, you know, yeah, that, that, that could be a risk, and good, good for him for doing it. That was, that was the right thing for the party in the, in the long term. But at least you could, you'll be in the majority for sure, uh, or at least hopefully. But if you don't run, it makes it all that harder for us to pick up that couple <laughs> dozen seats because we need to put that money into knocking off one, one or two-term Republican incumbents or other open seats. Don't create an open seat for us. You, if you don't run, it's a toss-up race. If you do run, it's likely dim, and we can maybe help get you get the party as a whole. Help us save money so we can flip yeah. a, a district in Missouri, yeah. Ohio. Okay. Um, Eric, what is your opinion of, uh, I'm not sure I'd call it a flip-flop, I guess the, 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 the new decision from Ed Perlmutter, does this harm him in any way? And was it, do you think it's more about getting pressure from the outside or him finding that fire in the belly again? Oh, it's probably both. Life's complicated and it's never usually one thing. It's some combination of factors. I need to start by saying Ed's one of the good guys in Colorado politics and there are not enough of them. And Ed's one of the good guys. But yet this whole thing, as Ed's played his card, strikes me as somewhat unseemly. I think politicians are allowed one never mind and Ed Perlmutter used his never mind in terms of announcing he was running for governor becoming the nominal front runner in that governor's race overnight and then a month or two later backing off and saying oh never mind I'm not running for governor but in that he was pretty emphatic and pretty clear that he was not running for Congress and so a lot of other people up-and-coming young talented Democrats four in particular sort of staked their future on it and raised a lot of money and put a lot of time and shoe leather into those campaigns. And then Ed came along again and said, oh, never mind again. I think the second, oh, never mind, is a little problematic. It does not hurt Ed in any way, shape, form in terms of his ability to be reelected to Congress. That will be an easy reelection. I'm not sure I completely buy David's analysis about, because I think that would have been a Democratic seat particularly in 2018, no matter if it was Andy Kerr, Brittany Pedersen, Dominic Moreno, any of them. I think it was a Democratic seat. So I'm not sure I'm buying into David's analysis. If it hurts at it all, it would be if he's looking at a 2020 Senate run against Cory Gardner or some other play down the road. He's going to have to demonstrate some intensity of commitment and some credibility when he gets into that race because people are going to have the never mind on their mind. Penn, does this hurt the Democratic bench, those four folks that were going to run and probably move up into the Democratic echelons here? No, I don't think it does for a couple of reasons. I don't quite buy David's theory on why this happened, but I have a different theory that maybe David may be attracted to. Um, I'm not convinced it's the external forces um, in the National Democratic Party that encouraged Ed to rethink this. I think it may have been more a function of Colorado Democratic Party politics. You look at this. In this race, you had three young, up-and-coming Democratic legislators where Democrats hold the House and are a vote away from the Senate. And you're rolling into redistricting time again. And you're running the risk where all three of these folks could be out of office because they're all running for Congress. They can't run for both positions at the same time. So then you have to backfill and make sure Democrats can field candidates to win all three of these open seats and pick up a seat in the Senate and hold your majority in the House. 
So, uh, you know, I, I, I okay. think that there are other things at play, and I'm sure that, that Peterson Kerr and Moreno will, will have some um, other considerations come their way because they stepped aside. Patty, wrap it up for us. Well, it is too bad for the people who'd already thrown their hat in the ring before. But I don't think it was external. I think it, this was all internal for Ed, and regaining the fire in the belly was maybe no harder than having some Santiago's hot green chili. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have been chatting today, so it is time for Disgrace of the Week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off. I do not want to gender stereotype at this table, but I'm willing to bet that no one here has ever done the splits. If you have watched the Channel 9 videos that were leaked to the station after parents complained about what East High School had done to their daughters at a cheerleading camp, it's, it is uh, squeam-inducing. Five people have been suspended. They say we don't know really what happened, but all you have to do to watch the video is no, it wasn't good. David. The extremely stupid Putts Network, ESPN, pulled, had a football announcer whose name was Robert Lee. He's, he's an Asian-American. Lee's a common name of Asian people from China or Korea and thereabouts. They pulled him off the broadcast of this weekend's University of Virginia football game because apparently they think their viewers are too stupid to know that the Asian-American Robert, e. Robert Lee is different from the guy from Virginia who led the Confederate forces. <laughs> Eric? I was going to the same place as David. ESPN, that was just, it was bizarre. It's not political correctness. It's just ridiculousness. Only thing I'd add to David is I'm told ESPN also has a sports announcer somewhere in their system named Jeff Davis. Are we going to kick <laughs> Jeff Davis off the air? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm with Patty, and yes, some of us have done the splits mimicking James Brown in their teenage years. They did it badly, but they did it. But what happened at East High School was reprehensible. And what's worse for DPS is this is after they hired a coach who had been terminated by the Boulder Valley School District for similar complaints from parents. That's, that's disturbing. Time for the bumper sticker version of Say Something Nice About Somebody. Patty. Happy, happy National Parks Day. Enjoy them while you have them. You're here. I made fun a couple of weeks ago of Jack Graham for losing in the primary, Senate primary, to a guy who didn't have a campaign organization. But it should be pointed out that uh, Graham's opponent who beat him did have a million-dollar outside expenditure on his behalf by Ted Cruz's PAC. Eric. To everyone in the path of Hurricane Harvey, including my daughter Katrina, her name might indicate some degree of preparedness. Here, here. Penn. Uh, to CSU, congratulations opening your new stadium on campus tomorrow. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, check out the segments of the show on Facebook and Twitter. And for everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.